So hopefully I'm not a complete stranger to you guys anymore. But for those who haven't met me, I'm Nick. Um, my wife Jenny and Lila are at home in Fordingbridge. So Lila's not had a good night. She stayed at Nanny's and has come home and been very ill. So nothing to do with Nanny, just not saying anything there. Um, Mum, just to clarify, when you listen to this, I'm not blaming you whatsoever. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, I'm an aircraft engineer by trade, it's what I do. Um, I've been a part of New Life Community Church since we planted out of King's Church in Greenwood in 2006. Um, Jen and I lead a life group, which we absolutely adore doing, and I currently coordinate PA, and so that looks like over our site in Fordingbridge, here in Wimborne, soon to be Verwood, and God willing, in Downton as well. Um, first of all, we have a good God, right? Over these past few months, we have noticed, or I've particularly noticed, a change in the air. God is on the move. And I'm finding myself caught up in all the excitement and busyness of it all. Whilst I have an opportunity, I want to say thank you as well, because as we have been coming here over the past few months, we've really grown to love you guys. I always look forward to coming here because I know I'm going to get welcomed and it feels just such a big family and you make us so, so welcome and it truly feels like one church. Lila in particular has fallen head over heels for Gordon, which is his way. Um, so, to the topic in hand, if you're wanting a title, try this, God always comes through. Preaching about God coming through is perfect, not because it's a perfect preach by any means, but in the sense that I had genuinely no idea what to preach on. I asked God what I should preach on, and I labored, and I questioned, and I waited, yet the topic was absolutely elusive. This morning was looming closer and closer, and my preparation time was going away quicker and quicker. Jen and I spent one evening writing those little prophecy cards, um, for the Christmas services, and I went to bed that night, and I fell asleep like I normally do, and I had the weirdest dreams, like the weirdest dreams, and I woke up at half past two in the morning with not only more prophetic messages, but a preach topic. God be praised, because I was getting really nervous. Um, Acts 2 tells us that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. So it turns out God's telling me I'm getting a bit older as well. Um, so, to the preach. When we look across the Old and New Testaments, we see time and time again that God has a plan. And he always sees it through to its completion. The many little stories that make up Scripture joined together to reinforce one larger story, a greater story, a good story about a good God doing good for those he loves. Those little stories are like little squares in a patchwork quilt or gears in a machine. On the whole, the quilt might be quite impressive or the machine capable of doing incredible things. But without those little parts, it's not complete. The quilt is still a quilt, and the machine might well function without those little bits. But something just isn't right. 
but it hasn't reached its completion. Something's missing. And when you realize you get that, oh, feeling, the feeling that you've kind of just missed out. You're so close yet so far. It could have been so much more, even with just one little extra piece added. As we read through Scripture, we read about the giants of the Bible, Moses, the heroes of faith, others like John and Timothy and Paul. And it'd be quite easy for us to forget the smaller characters that are interwoven throughout. Jabez in 1 Chronicles, he asked God for some land. God gave it to him. Jethro in Exodus, all the advice he gave Moses. Mordecai and Esther using his position to petition the king, the thief on the cross in Luke. We don't even know his name and yet has the most powerful story. We still know them, but we would would notice if they were gone. More importantly, we forget that we're part of the story as well. Just because we're not mentioned in Scripture doesn't mean that we're not part of this majestic quilt that has been woven over time. Or a part of a series of gears or mechanisms that progressively advance the kingdom of God. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time here this morning delving into a handful of these seemingly small stories. And although seemingly small, when stood alone, when combined with the rest of the quilt, create a masterpiece. Along the way, I'm going to share some of my own stories and a word of caution as we continue. Some of these are still raw, so you may have to bear with me as I cry through them. Um, The main theme that consistently appears throughout the spectrum of Scripture is this. There is a plan. It was formed before time began. An unchanging, a consistent and perfect plan. A plan to save humanity from their sins and from themselves. We get the privilege of being a little part of God's plan. We get to be a gear in heaven's advance. We get to form part of the patchwork of his plan. So let's start with Jonah. A man of God, a prophet, which was a rare position in those times. He heard from God, plain and true, go to Nineveh. But Jonah didn't want the sinners of Nineveh to receive God's forgiveness and blessing. Why should they be forgiven, he'd say. They should face justice for all the evil they have done. So he didn't go. But this wasn't God's plan. God's plan was to save that nation. Jonah thought he knew better than God. Jonah's own plans and view of justice meant he became a cog that got snarled and jammed up. The kingdom's advance for Nineveh, for the moment, had come to an abrupt stop. Jonah had thought God had got it all wrong about the Ninevites. They didn't deserve forgiveness. They deserved what they dished out, pain and death. What Jonah didn't grasp at all, this wasn't God's plan. Jonah completely missed what God is all about. God is about compassion and love. His compassion far outweighs his righteous anger. That's why he wanted to redeem Nineveh. Because God so loved the world. Because God so loved the world, he sent Jonah. It's a shame Jonah didn't get the memo. So off Jonah toddles, as we know, in the opposite direction, without a hint of doing the Almighty's work. 
He didn't even see it coming, which makes me chuckle. But when the storm hits, I bet he got that feeling in the pit of his stomach, that cold sweat, because he knew. Three days later, spent in the belly of a fish, and Jonah arrives at Nineveh. There's an album title in there, so wasn't there, Mark? But his trip didn't go the way he planned. It was a three-and-a-half-star TripAdvisor review, a fast and efficient service, but was disappointed with the route. Jonah had thought he was in the clear. I'll leave it to someone else. However, God's plan is far bigger than our flawed thoughts and ideas. God wants Nineveh saved, and saved it was going to be. Not only was Nineveh at the top of God's to-do list, but it was Jonah that God wanted to do it. And, as we know, the whole nation was saved. A little cog that may have got jammed initially saw kingdom advance so significantly in a matter of moments. God's passion and compassion for the world means that little people get to play a big part. God's plan was unswerving, unchangeable, and unimaginable. Who could have predicted that outcome? A nation saved through a prophet's disobedience. A good story? No doubt. A good story about a good God doing good for those he loves? Absolutely. Time for a story of my own. So I've served at West Point for a number of years now, and outside of my normal work, I'm also part of the emergency team. And a few West Points ago, in the afternoon, a little girl was found by a delegate. She hadn't been reported missing by her parents, but, but, but my team member was approached by the person who had found her. Reuniting family is a pretty easy task. We've done it loads of times. We either have a parent missing a child or a child missing a parent. Every child has an ID bracelet. It's really easy to find out where they're from and ship them on back. Simple job, here we go. Until we find that the delegate and the little girl can't be found anymore. And as the ID bracelet is firmly attached to her wrist, and we don't have the little girl, we have a problem. See, we'd never had anything like this before. We'd never even considered it to be a situation that we'd find ourselves to be in. Never have we had a missing child situation where we have no anxious parents, no child, not the foggiest idea where they're from, or who she even is, or even if she's actually missing. So we assembled the team in the operations room and we prayed. Oh boy, did we pray. We prayed for her, that she would be found quickly. We prayed for us. We prayed for wisdom and we prayed for peace as we made steps to get, to this, res get this resolved. We had copious amounts of procedures, but nothing to deal with a situation like this. We had an off-duty policeman who was a delegate, came and gave us his assistance. We had a local police on their way. The gates were closed, no traffic allowed in or out of the site. And we searched. For three hours, we searched and searched. As a team, we spread out and meticulously went from church to church, asking them to account for their children before moving on to the next. Before we knew it, it was time for the main evening meeting to begin. The crowds had gathered outside the, ex the entrances to the main arena, and they were growing restless. We still had no information. The girl, the parents, the church, the delegate, we had nothing. 
The options becoming more limited by the minute, we decided it was the best option to open up the door to arena and let people in. Then, in a moment's inspiration, God-given inspiration, I would argue, it was decided to have one entrance open. We had the team member who'd initially had the delegate approach them stood in the middle of the crowd as they surged in. He was looking for that delegate, the report of the girl missing. So he watched. He watched and he watched, quickly scanning faces, trying to remember what the guy looked like. Then he spotted him. The delegate that reported the little girl passed through and we quickly ushered him into a side office. Turns out, as we were praying for wisdom three hours before, he'd found her parents and reunited her with them. God really went before us on that day. God came through when we cried out for help. It wasn't the route we would have taken, but it was the result that God wanted. A good story? No doubt. A good story about a good God doing good for those he loves. Absolutely. How about Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat? That guy went through some stuff. Like, some serious stuff. The ridicule, the desertion, the false accusations, the imprisonment, to becoming Prime Minister of Egypt. What a journey. I imagine him years later telling anyone who'll listen, you weren't there, man. What he must have thought when his brothers abandoned him and then sold him. So I threatened stuff to my sisters before, but this is like a whole nother level. Just as he's caught a break, serving Potiphar and his household and doing a cracking job of it as well, he's hounded by Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife. She chases him down, trying to get him to give in to her advances. Joseph, being a man of integrity, legs it, only to be accused of, accused of rape. Off to the clink with him. Poor, poor Joseph, what you going to do? Once again, just as things, things seem to be... Le- Thank you, I'm glad someone got the reference. I wasn't going to sing it. Once again, just as things seem to be levelling off and going in his favour, Joe finds himself at the bottom of the rung again. This has to be the most miserable game of snakes and ladders anyone has ever seen. But God doesn't abandon him like his brothers or those who are supposed to protect him. Because Joseph begins to dream and interpret others' dreams. When the cupbearer completely forgets about him, another opportunity of freedom is scuppered. It's only when Pharaoh has a dream that his magicians and sages couldn't interpret that Joe gets his chance. With the Holy Spirit upon him, Joseph tells Pharaoh the meaning of his dreams, albeit the hardest news to share. Before you know it, he's leading the administration of food rationing and saving the nation from starvation. Imagine reading those verses again for the first time. This isn't the way you'd expect the story to go. This certainly isn't what Joseph was expecting or hoping for. Yet before we we know it, he's in a position of incredible power and authority. A good story? No doubt. A good story about a good God doing good for those he loves? Absolutely. My PA journey. (laughs) he's laughing when we started out at NLCC there was one guy that did PA that was me and Joe joined me and we did two weeks on and we did two weeks off 
to start with, it was amazing because I got pretty good at it. I didn't have to share the nice equipment and I didn't have to train anyone. And as years went by, the struggle became real. Work had got a lot busier and it was taking a lot more of my energy and time. Jen and I had started dating. I was wanting to spend more time at her parents' place over in Brighton. And the worst bit, albeit selfish, was I couldn't see the end. This was it. This was what my future at church now looked like forever. Two weeks on, two weeks off. I imagined even if I'd ascended to heaven, immediately Jesus would have taken me by the hand and taken me to the PA desk. (laughs) I remember having the conversation with Paul about, I'm not sure how long I can do this for. And he's told me to pray and to be expectant, to ask God to provide a team and to lay a date at his feet. Still, the Sundays came and went, and I grew more and more tired. Holidays had to be planned. Even going away for a weekend could be difficult. Then the first person showed interest. Then the second, then the third. We've easily had 15 people through my team since then. As people have stood down or left, others have stepped up. I've never been left in need for more than a couple of weeks. And I stand here now with a team that is seven strong over two, over two sites and nearly going to be eight. And they're really good. And I don't mind sharing the equipment because they work so hard. And the interesting, the interesting thing is, I wanted quality people who I wouldn't have to invest time in. God didn't send them to me as trained sound engineers. Rather, people with a heart to serve and have offered their time and their effort. What I wasn't expecting was God was working with me too. God gave me the skills to understand the technical aspects and the ability to teach. What I'd received wasn't finished products. Rather, I was given people that were teachable. It wasn't the way I'd imagined it. But God came through and continues to come through as the need exists. A good story? No doubt. A good story about a good God doing good for those he loves? Absolutely. Let's talk about Mary. There's something about her. (laughs) We see Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, across the gospel writings. This means, as all four writers have included her in their text, she must have been an important part of Jesus' story. We begin to see her story in Luke chapter 8, and it doesn't start well for her. We read of Jesus traveling around with his disciples alongside him, plus some women who have been cured from evil spirits and diseases. Mary had seven demons cast out of her. Seven. Seven. Seven seems like a big number, doesn't it? Some commentators talk about the significance of this number seven. Others have different views on Mary's plight. And I'm not going to linger here because I don't think it adds to what I want to bring. But whichever way you look at it, she has a lot going on when she met Jesus. It says she continued with Jesus, supporting his ministry by her own means. When we read that, we deduce that she was a wealthy woman. How about the Lazarus situation? Poor Mary, you've got to feel for the woman. She's just lost her brother. She thought Jesus would heal him. He'd be right as rain again. But he certainly isn't right as rain now. Mary had sent word and thought Jesus was coming to save her brother. But he must have gotten caught up somewhere. 
or he didn't care. But that wasn't the Jesus that she knew and loved. Through the tears and the pain, she must have questioned everything. She thought Jesus would come and Lazarus would be made well. He was really sick, and that was bad enough. But now he's dead. Over four days later, Jesus rolls into town. I can't imagine how I would have felt. I'd be angry, grief-stricken, plus a load of other emotions going on. Then Jesus calls out to Lazarus. I just imagine everyone must be thinking, he's nuts. The guy's been dead four days. Then out strolls Lazarus. The only indication he's been dead with the grave clothes still on his face. This truly must be the Son of God. It was Mary that took the jar of perfume and washed Jesus' feet in the most outrageous act of worship anyone had ever seen. The act of worship that frustrated everyone apart from Jesus. Jesus saw this act as acceptable. A high standard to attain for everyone else. This was her worship. What she thought Jesus was worth. To further the drama, it's Mary squared, that is this Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, that prepared the spices and perfumes to lay on Jesus' body. They rested on the Sabbath, and the very next day they they took the spices and perfumes in hand towards the tomb where Jesus lay. Yet, there Jesus did not lay. The story gets weirder by the minute. Suddenly, two angels are stood before them, declaring the resurrection of the living God. I can't imagine how bizarre, mind-blowing, yet incredible that must have been. Mary might be a small bit of scripture, but didn't she witness some stuff? She was healed, saw her brother die and come alive again. She understood who Jesus was and experienced the empty grave. A good story? No doubt. A good story about a good God doing good for those he loves. Absolutely. Our house. So back in 2016, Jen and I were looking for a house. We were living in Downton at the time, and we wanted to live in the same town as our church. We loved NLCC, and we loved praying for the community of Fordingbridge. But we found it difficult praying for a community that we weren't actually a part of. We were about five-ish minutes away from that community, but we wanted to be right in the middle of it. So we began house hunting. The estate agents were atrocious. Like, we went to look at one house, and the guy didn't even know why they were selling. When we after the loft was boarded, he didn't know that either, so I opened the hatch, took a picture and showed him, um, we didn't buy that house. One cottage had doorways so, so low, like no word of a lie, they were down here. And the estate agent told me I would get used to it. <laughs> we didn't buy that one either. We made it clear to them that we only wanted to view properties in 4D. So they set, kept sending us listings for Older Holt. Now I'm sure Old Holt is a lovely place to live, some beautiful houses in some lovely roads, with everything we wanted, except when your heart is somewhere else. We'd not given up hope in the process, but it was definitely tarnished by that point. When pre- when prayer meeting, we were just about to leave, and Cain says, let's pray for a house. I was tired and reluctantly said, all right then, let's just get on with it. And I quite flippantly said, kind of like to avoid estate agents as well. We prayed, went home, and gave it no, no second thought. That same week, my, Jen's sister 
and her family were down, staying from Brighton. They were staying nearby, and we were across the forest having a walk with them. And I get a message from a friend. Uh, this, this is really like a, a really tedious link. So her husband's old school friend's nan was going into her care home, and they're selling their house. Would we be interested? So we prayed on the Sunday. This was the Tuesday. And oh, they don't want to use estate agents. They'd much prefer a private deal. And you're like, look at this message go. Okay, I hear you. So he went, went and had a look. Um, my brother-in-law was down staying, and just by chance, he's a building surveyor, and he came and looked around, and uh, like we loved it. He said, if you don't buy it, I will. Um, so we agreed to buy, we agreed to buy it. Um, we nearly lost the house a couple of times because the family that was selling, there was a bit of infighting. But three months later, we moved in and began a wonderful new season. God came through, even with my apathy to pray about it and my flippant demands. A good story? No doubt. A good story about a good God doing good for those he loves? Absolutely. The disciples. What a weird time that must have been for those guys. They have spent three incredible years with Jesus. They have seen some things that are unbelievable, yet happened right in front of them. They have learnt so much, felt so much, and are brimming with confidence in the Messiah. This new king is about to take the Romans by storm. No power in heaven or earth can stop him. Israel will be raised again back to the place of honour. Then there's the Last Supper. Next, they're rambling through the garden. He's betrayed and arrested, beaten, put on trial, condemned by a crowd that days earlier had welcomed him, killed on a criminal's cross. He died. That wasn't the plan. Where's this magnificent restoration of Israel? Where's this inheritance they were promised? Why didn't he save himself? Maybe they were wrong. Maybe they misheard him. This wasn't their plan at all. They weren't expecting to be abandoned. Then Jesus' ghost turns up. Well, that's what they think. Then they realize it's actually him, the real him. He isn't dead at all. He came through. This certainly wasn't what they were expecting. This certainly wasn't the plan they had envisioned. Regardless of what they were expecting, Regardless of the plan they had envisioned, God came through in a powerful and perfect way. Jesus died, but he rose again. God came through. It wasn't just for the disciples, but for all mankind. God's plan was to save us, and it was revealed in all its glory. There is no better example of God always coming through. A good, good story? no doubt. A good story about a good God doing good for those he loves? Absolutely. Now I find myself going through this life having a reasonable understanding and expectation of what the future holds. I think I know what Jesus has planned for me. Well, I know what I've got planned for me. At least I think I do. Something that seemed a dead cert that couldn't go any other way does. Turmoil and disappointment seem to linger then like a fog at every step. 
Hopelessness seems to surround you. When I was 13, I lost my granddad. I remember staying up all night praying for him to be okay. But he wasn't. And that was tough because I thought Jesus was going to save him. But he didn't. And I struggled with that for a long time because you try and push past it, trusting God to come through. Because you've read the stories in the Bible, in your word for the day, in blogs and videos, and you've heard others testify that he will. Well wishes try and help, but their words can seem meaningless. Christians saying, it's okay, God's got this, doesn't make me feel better. Because you're not really sure that he will. Because God's righteousness has obviously skipped over me because someone else was more worthy. If you're here today or listening online and you feel this is you, then I have hope to offer you. Please don't take my words as being a feeble attempt to make you better because that is not my intent. What I can offer you are my experiences. My experiences of God coming through. Because God's righteousness doesn't skip over people. It doesn't abandon or neglect or ignore or forget. Quite the opposite. He gathers people up in his arms and he rescues them. He comes through in his perfect plan, not through something that I've concocted. His perfect plan gives us hope. It brings us hope because Jesus died to bring us hope. I do still get upset, obviously, when I talk about my granddad. But I don't get upset because Jesus didn't... Um, I don't get upset because... I get upset, sorry, because he's not around, not because he didn't answer my prayer. I know that Jesus came through. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but I trust Jesus knows the better plan. I've had to work through my expectations, working out the differences between my prayers and God's plan. I've had to work through understanding that God's plan is perfect, and my plans are imperfect. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. Neither are my thoughts your thoughts. One day we will understand. That same day we will see in full the beauty and perfection of Jesus. We'll bow and we'll understand how much Jesus loves us. Remember Jesus' parable about the shepherd that lost the sheep. The shepherd leaves the flock of 99 to go and rescue the one. Maybe you feel like the one today. That's great. Because Jesus is here to rescue you and return you to the fold. The devil prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. If you're feeling like the one, the lamb that's found itself outside the flock and the security of the pen, don't give the devil the opportunity. Jesus is here to save you. The devil is also known as the father of all lies. He'll say anything to make you feel less worthy, less righteous, and less loved. Each of you are so loved by Jesus. So much so, he'll leave the 99 to seek you out and gather you up. Because you mean everything to him. Everything. He died for you. 
He died for you because you mean everything to him. Do you think that Jonah or Joseph, Lazarus or the disciples were particularly special? Or that something in their genes made them more appealing to God? If that's what you believe, then I'm afraid to tell you you're wrong. I do, however, have some good news for you, my friends. We might not see anything special about ourselves. There's certainly nothing special in our genes. Jesus came and died to save us. To save us regardless of what we think about ourselves or the genes that we have. We're all that one sheep that got stuck and faced certain death. We're all the one that was lost and desperately need of saving. There might not be something special in our genes, but you are special. Special enough that Jesus has called you by name and placed his eternal promise of love over you. So what do we do with this now? I want to encourage you to share your story. Your story is a good story. A good story about a good God doing good for those that he loves. Your story is, a pa- is as powerful as Jonah, Joseph, Mary, or Lazarus. Your story will move people. Not because you've been through some stuff. Because I'm sure you have. I sure have. We can all say, you weren't there, man. It's not because you've been through some stuff, but because God came through each and every time. A good story about a good God doing good for those he loves. See, what makes a good story is a good ending. That's what people remember. When Jen and I were newlyweds, we watched a film called Atonement. Great film, absolutely awful ending. Like it was the worst ending of any film I've ever seen, ever. And I have seen Sharknado, Birdemic, Burn After Reading, and Titanic. That's a lie, I've never seen Titanic. Anyway, 12 years later, I'm still banging on about how awful the ending of Atonement is. Your story matters, but the ending of your story matters more. Seeing God come through and win the day is what makes for a good story. The patchwork quilt is still under construction. Your story adds another square to the ever-growing collection that continues to demonstrate God's love. Your your story is sewn into the same fabric that makes up Joseph's and Jonah's and the disciples' stories. The kingdom is advancing, there is no doubt about that. Each testimony declares a good story about a good God doing good for those he loves. Tim said this, um, one of the elders from Ford, he said this the other day in the preach. I always thought when I'd get to heaven, I'd seek out the great names I read about in the Bible. What will actually happen is when we get to heaven, we're not going to have to go searching for those heroes of faith. They'll be coming to us. They'll want to meet us because they've seen our story. Those heroes of faith were just ordinary people doing the best they could for a God that loves them. Frankly, the same as us. Nothing they did made them special. What made them special and what makes us special is having God alongside us. That's what made for a good ending. It's God coming through.
because God always comes through. As we have a time of worship, let that sink in. There will probably be people here dealing with grief. Grief of loss, grief of abandonment, rejection and hopelessness. This isn't the plan God has for you. Let him minister to you. Hold your hands out and receive from him. But we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to give you space. If you'd like prayer, come and see us. Cain, Lynn, myself, we'd love to pray with you. If today isn't a day, then please have those conversations with people you trust. Don't let grief, rejection, or disappointment get in the way of a good story. God always comes through, and he will for you too. Shall we stand and pray? Jesus, I want to thank you for scripture. I want to thank you that the sto- for stories that bring us hope in times of need. I declare you are greater than my grief and my worry. I declare you are Lord of my life, sovereign over it all. I know you will come through. Help me see it and acknowledge it. We love you and we know that you love us far beyond our understanding. 